You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. May the word of Christ and may the peace of Christ dwell in us richly. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Well, I thought between Rally Day and Stewardship Sunday, Romans 14 would be a good text. Because in this text, the Apostle Paul lays out the welcome mat. Many Jewish people and God-fearing Gentiles in the city of Rome had come to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And they came into that new household of faith, praising God for answers to prophecy. They also came into that congregation with customs, traditions, and a culture that was difficult for the Gentile believers to necessarily appreciate. Their diet restrictions, their special days, their feast days. And Paul is identifying that particular cultural tension that is going on within the church at Rome. And he's addressing it with high doctrine. You know, humble duties backed up by high doctrine. And he's basically saying in this passage in Romans 14 that God has welcomed you all in his son. And he's also saying that no one is anyone else's master. Christ is the master, the Lord of all. So who are you to challenge and correct a servant of your Lord and Savior. Furthermore, you're all brothers and sisters in Christ, in this household of faith. And moreover, you're all going to face an accountability, a judgment before God. For the sake of Christ, Paul is encouraging, insisting, exhorting, entreating, Make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. Of course, the rub comes for us because we aren't necessarily debating and being challenged by kosher food and special feast days. So what is it that might bring attention within the household of faith for us? My grandson, Liam, just a week or so ago, was given a new Bible at the school that he goes to in Seattle. He goes to a Christian school, and they give Bibles to their third graders. Well, uh, my son is a bibliophile. He loves books. And the better bound and the more classic, the better the book. And he's teaching Liam to be a bibliophile as well. So he's given this wonderful book leather-bound, expensive book. And the first thing his third-grade teacher wants him to do is take a pink magic marker 
and highlight Habakkuk 2.14. Well, not only does Liam have trouble with the idea of highlighting of this book, but highlighting it in pink, no less. And then he went home and said to Jeremiah, he said, uh, you know, I really like my teacher, but I was really upset with her for making me do something I didn't want to do with my new Bible. Well, Paul would say in this particular instance that it's Liam that has kind of a weak faith. Now, you have to understand that there's different kinds of weaknesses talked about in the Bible. There is the weakness that we're most familiar with, where we are susceptible to sin. Weakness giving in to temptation. The idea of, uh, of lust and temptation, we are familiar with this kind of weakness. When Jesus was in Gethsemane, he, he told the disciples to pay attention and to pray, to stay awake, because the spirit is strong, but the flesh is weak. But then there's a second kind of weakness, actually a kind of weakness that we ought to embrace. It's the weakness that's marked by the cross. Remember Paul saying, my great, the Lord saying to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you for my strength is made perfect in weakness. So there's a weakness marked by our fleshly, sinful, old sinful nature, and there is a, a weakness that's marked by serving Christ under the cross. But now there's this third kind of weakness, this weakness of conscience. It's not a weakness of character. But having been raised in traditions and customs and cultures, kind of a religious maturity, but it may be a spiritual immaturity because we're so sensitive about even those non-essentials, which we know are part of the culture, part of the tradition, not part necessarily rooted as an essential core belief of the faith. Paul has spent a lot of time on the essentials in the letter to the church at Rome, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is found in Christ Jesus. That's an essential. They knew that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Jesus Christ, the Spirit of life has given us a freedom, a freedom from the law and sinful bondage. Those are essentials. But as you know, kind of the rub comes with the non-essentials for the church getting along. There is a difference between people who can just sort of clearly profess, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation, to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. One of the dangers that we find now in Christendom is that people can gather around, around the non-essentials. I often went to theological forums in Toronto when I was working on my doctorate, and you would go to theological colloquiums in which people from all different aspects of the religious sphere would gather together. 
many of whom would just simply mock the notion of a bodily resurrection, say that the incarnation was a myth, that the atoning sacrifice of Christ didn't make any sense, and it was an archaic expression. And then you know what the colloquium would do? They'd gather around communion. And people who had denied Christ would take the bread and take the cup. I guess that is an extreme version of gathering around uh, the non-essentials, denying the essentials. When I sit down with a couple who are preparing for marriage and they check all the boxes, baptism, confirmation, church attendance, kind of good members in standing, and they just have a vacuous space when it comes to talking about Jesus Christ. You might say, well, is that a judgmental attitude on your part? Well, just bear with me a bit. Because what gathers us together is the conviction that indeed Jesus is Lord, as Paul says here, for none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. My first Sunday at Central Presbyterian in New York, uh, there was a large American flag right under the cross. And I walked out and uh, just sort of checking on things, and I said to an elder, I said, how long has the flag been there? He said, well, I don't know. Uh, Do you want me to move it? And I said, yeah, I think it's a clash of symbols. Uh, We had worked this through in church in San Diego, and one of the strongest voices of having the flag removed from under the cross was a Navy SEAL. And kind of nobody debated him. And so the flag was moved. It was moved to the back in San Diego, and it was moved to the back next to the Christian flag in New York. And nobody said anything for three weeks. Nobody missed the flag. And then a very dear, a woman who I like really a lot, taught flute at Juilliard for years and years, a 94-year-old woman in the passing of the peace, the peace of Christ be yours, she comes up to my wife and says, who moved the damn flag? (laughs) Well, that led to a lengthy discussion, uh, a session, which is our vestry, about where the flag ought to be. And it's interesting, the same dialogue at the same time was going on as to the importance of weekly Eucharist. It takes wisdom for a church to really function and work together in a way that is pleasing to the Lord. Again, when we were in Toronto, uh, we went to a very gospel-centered Baptist church. It was in the main line of the Baptist tradition, the Convention Baptist in Toronto, but the gospel was preached vibrantly. And I began teaching, and we were involved in a Bible study in a small group, and a group that cared for a refugee from Vietnam. And we weren't members. And it was kind of awkward not being a member in that church. Well, Virginia was baptized as a child, poured over, and here we're joining a Baptist church that insists on baptism by immersion. And Virginia really graciously 
well, be baptized again. She went and talked to the pastor, and the pastor refused to baptize her because she hadn't changed her baptistic convictions. Well, I didn't really want her to change her, her Baptist convictions. She'd grown up in the a covenant people of God. She understood what baptism signified. She came home to, in tears. Here, going the second mile to be united to a church, but then refused. Well, it wasn't too long before that pastor left. A new pastor came, and she did the same thing. And that pastor said, great, I'll baptize you. And I sort of pulled the pastor aside and I said, you know, it'd be really good when you baptize Virginia that you kind of let people know that she's been a Christian for a long time, grew up in another tradition. Ah, sure enough. He, he said, yeah, great. Sure enough, baptism comes and he makes it seem like she had just come to Christ. And some lady came up to Virginia afterwards and said, I'm really surprised that Doug married a non-Christian. You're getting my point, right? There's essentials that gather us. Solid, true, fundamental, essentials of the faith. That's what unites us. And then there's quite a wide variety of things that we are different on. Paul gives us this advice. Remember, remember that God welcomed him every one of them in Christ. Remember that they have a Lord, the same Lord as your Lord. Remember that they are brothers and sisters in Christ. And remember that we're all going to face an accountability at the judgment seat of Christ. So all of the lectionary readings for today deal with forgiveness. Brothers and sisters, bear with one another. Forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the peace of Christ dwell in you richly. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.